So let's go to Acts chapter 9, verse 31, just a review of one verse. Uh, Peter's going to heal two impossible cases, and we're going to learn a lot from it. Chapter 9 and verse, 30, verse 31. After Paul is, is uh, able to head home to Tarsus, and after he's switched sides, so to speak, it says this, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified. They were encouraged. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied, so they kept growing. And then verse 32 says, And it came to pass as, now who are we going to talk about now? So we just finished up with Paul, and as it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. So all of uh, uh, all of Acts chapter 8 and up till now, Luke, in his record, has focused on this new guy named Saul of Tarsus. He's, he's talked about the, the trouble and the persecution that that Saul had brought against the church. I mean, he really was, was aggressive to try and um, get rid of Christianity. And then we, in chapter 9, we saw him marvelously get saved. Really, I think it, you don't have to have a salvation like his for yours to be marvelous, for yours to be absolutely the best ever. Uh, day I got saved, the best day of my life. And not because lightning struck me or an earthquake or whatever, but because I knew that I was lost. And I had no hope. There was nothing in me that was good enough to get me in heaven. If I died that night, I would have gone straight to hell. And here was a man showing me out of the Bible that God wanted me. And when I cried out to him to save me, I knew he did. Because the Bible says so. And because the Holy Spirit inside me says, you're in. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. There was this double confirmation of, I'm saved. Greatest day of my life, folks. And Saul got marvelously converted. And then he took some baby steps as he started to serve the Lord. He, he started preaching. He started teaching. He started engaging people and giving his testimony. And there was great, as we read there in verse 31, they had rest finally. They enjoyed Saul being on their side. Okay, It's like if you had a, if there was a Garda in Balancholic that always just nitpicked and came along and parked and found all the faults with our parking and would, would come in and say our seating was not right and just nitpicked. And all of a sudden he got saved and he would just sit down. And all of a sudden we're not bothered anymore because he's on our side. You see what I'm saying? That's what it was like when Saul got saved. So Luke here switches to Peter. And he's not for the next two chapters, he's going to be talking about Peter and what he's going through. And it's kind of neat because just like any movie, you're going through and then you change scenes and you go and you catch up and you bring in some new information and some new activities. And so here comes Peter and things are happening. Big things are happening in all directions out of this first church in Jerusalem. Thousands of Samaritans had gotten saved up north of Jerusalem. One black man, an Ethiopian, had gotten saved south of Jerusalem by Philip, and that Ethiopian eunuch heads 3,900 kilometers home and transforms his nation into a Christian nation in the next 400 years. Folks, things are happening in all directions out of that first church, one church. And Peter here, he heads out of Jerusalem. He sort of takes a little bit of a break. He's been stuck in Jerusalem, and he heads west. He goes to the coast, and he goes to a town called Lydda, L-Y-D-D-A, and there the truth is God goes with him. So let's open up here in verse 32. Let's pick this up and let's see Peter get moving. 
Verse 32, it says, it says, and it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Now, he's been stuck in Jerusalem since the crucifixion. Go back to chapter 8 in verse 1. Up until chapter 8, from chapter 1, they met in the upper room and they were waiting for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ten days of praying and waiting paid off. And the day of Pentecost came, and what a marvelous day it was. And then week after week, things got hopping. But in chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for who? Except for the apostles. Now, I don't know why they stayed. Maybe they felt like they needed there, there was a lot to do. I'm not going to doubt that, but they are, everybody else is running for their lives and thank God for men of courage that stay in spite of being, and they will pay the price when you come to chapter 12 and James gets beheaded, it starts costing their lives for staying around Jerusalem. But they stay, and so he's been stuck in Jerusalem, but now he's actually proving that we're supposed to be active. We're supposed to be going from house to house and town to town and country to country. We are alive, folks. We're not going to organization. We're an organism. You know the difference. An organization, you know, does things for business. An organism is alive. And, and that's, I want to show you, this is, uh, this is a living, um, this is inside of the, uh, uh, a plant. I forget the name of the plant. But these cells here are active and dividing, and it's alive. If it's not moving, guess what it is? It's dead. And if a church is not moving, is not active, it is dead. So we either evangelize or we will fossilize. That is how it works, folks. So Peter heads to Lydda. Um, uh, he's, he's finally getting out of Jerusalem. He heads to Lydda. It's about 35 miles west, so I'm going to point here. He heads a little northwest to a town called Lydda, and um, he meets some saints there. I like that term. Read that verse, verse 32 again, back there in Acts 9, 32. <clears throat> you ought to circle that word. It says, it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all the quarters, all the areas, he came down to the saints which dwelled at Lydda. Now, all the saints were in Jerusalem. There are a lot of them out in a little town called Lydda. Um, he, Peter's seeking out believers. He didn't just go on holiday. Um, he went looking for encouragement and rest among Christians. And let me be kind of simple with you. A lot of people are, have a lot of misunderstanding of what a saint means. A saint, the word saint means washed, cleansed, forgiven made holy now you don't realize this but the moment you got saved all your sins were washed away that is breathtaking as far as god is concerned i am perfect not nearly perfect i am perfect now as far as you and i are concerned i ain't perfect but god sees me as perfectly forgiven does that make sense do you understand what i'm saying i am a saint um uh, go to romans Hold your place here in Acts. Go to the right. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. 
The Apostle Paul wrote, writes to the believers in Rome. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be, that's our, that's our life now. That's my calling. Somebody says, I don't know what my calling is, to be a saint, to be different than the world, called to be saints. And then it goes on, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 1.16, don't go there. Peter says, it is written, be ye holy. I am holy. That's our life now. Now, there's misconceptions about sainthood and stuff like this. Number one, people think that sainthood is an earned state. And that is a lie. Uh, you don't earn becoming a saint like the Catholics teach. Another misconception about saints is that saints are only in heaven. Sorry, I'm looking at some saints right now. Saints uh, in, in Catholic Church says they, uh, that saints have magical powers and abilities. That is a lie as well. They make up stories, folks. I'm sorry. You got to use your head. And you got to read and find out that all the Catholic tales of saints and miracles are fairy tales. And they may have been fine when you were a child like Santa and the tooth fairy, but they're not true. To be a saint, you do not have to do miracles. You don't have to heal. You don't have to walk on water. To be a saint means you must be born again. And the moment that you were saved, you were a saint. Every, every believer in Jesus Christ is a saint the moment they got saved. We may not act like it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to be desired about our sainthood. Would you agree? But as far as God's concerned, we are saints. You were, in, you were in Romans. Go further to the right. Go to Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, you know what we're called? God calls us the, us, the beloved of God. Now, I understand why he would call his son beloved. Remember, he's at Jesus' baptism. God says, this is my beloved son. Now, I can understand that. But he calls a Christian the beloved of God too. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers. We'd say foreigners, aliens. <laughs> now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but what are we? Fellow citizens with the list. List in that David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What am I doing in that crowd? I don't belong, but I'm in it. I'm a fellow citizen with the saints. What verse 19? Let's keep going. And of the household of God. How big is God's household? It's pretty big. Always room for one more. So you and I and every repentant believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. The truth is sainthood begins here in this life, not when you get to heaven. Um. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, you're in Ephesians, go there, go to Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. I'll show you one more scripture here. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1. we read there where Paul went to the saints in Lydda, Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the what? Saints which are in heaven, is that what it says? No, they're at Ephesus, wow. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus, would be kind of interesting 
if uh, Nita and I had gone to the Aran Islands and I wrote you a letter and I said, to the saints in Valencholy. That's what Paul was doing, you understand? And what the world and what our, what our normal culture teaches is that we're no good and we're not, and that you'll never change and probably it'll be the hardest thing you ever do to change. But because of Jesus Christ, I am a saint. I better start living up to it. I better start being holy because he's holy. That is the reality. Peter, when he needs a holiday, when he needs a break, when he needs refreshment, who does he go to? To other believers. And he doesn't call them problems or burdens. What does he call them? Saints. Saint Pat. Saint Leo. Oh, that's a, that's a stretch, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. All right. So Peter gets moving and he meets this guy named Aeneas. Verse back there in Acts chapter 9, verse 33. And he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. He's crippled. He has something called the palsy, which means he was brain damaged, okay? He could not walk. We don't know whether he could feed himself. I don't know. Uh, I've known people who have palsy. Some people have what we call cerebral palsy, which means it's a brain disorder. And so their arms are usually curled up. Their body is contorted. They can't walk. They can't move. They find it very hard just to turn in the bed. And they have to be taken care of 24-7. So somebody with palsy is a crippled person. This man is crippled. Uh, I don't know. It says that he's kept his bed for eight years, which means he probably had an accident. Like some, maybe he fell. Or maybe something hit him in the head, and from that moment on, he became paralyzed. So he is crippled. He's actually bedridden uh, uh, for eight long years. I mean, I've been uh, back at COVID. Some of us, you know, we all, everybody got COVID, whether you got the shot or not. And boy, you just laid out for three days, and then two, three, four weeks of recovery, and then you're back. What if you didn't recover for eight years? This man has been crippled for eight years. No doctor could help him, and, and, uh, which is still true today. And you know what's funny? Let me just bring up a point. You know, Lydda was known as a hub for doctors. It was a place where the doctors went and they discussed findings with the Greeks and with different cultures. And they find out, you know, all the weird stuff that they were trying to discover on how to treat people. So here's a hub of doctors. And here's a man they couldn't help. Doctors can only go so far, folks. So no doctor could help him until a fisherman arrives. A fisherman? Hmm. Peter can heal. Look in verse 34. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. We'd say, well, he maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Uh, Peter has been given an apostolic gift. As a matter of fact, we won't go there, but in Matthew chapter 10, he calls his disciples to him and he names 12 of them. And he names the first one. He goes with Peter, James, John, so on and so forth, so forth. And he says that it says that he gave them power against unclean spirits and the ability to heal all manner of sickness. All. That is breathtaking and all manner of disease. So G Peter's ability was just as, as able as Jesus's ability. 
And if you want, I would I want you to listen to Peter's uh, confidence. Look in um, uh, look into those words again. Verse thirty four, he just says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed, and he arose immediately. That's a man with confidence. Would you agree? Now I've been in the presence of of doctors who says we don't know. We're going to try this. Let's let's try this medicine. Let's try this radiation. Find out if you survive. <laughs> That's, that's how doctors talk, not Peter. Peter's got a confidence. And I want to, where does he get that from? Well, he gets it from, back in Acts chapter 3, he, he healed a man, the crippled man at the temple, remember? He says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I give. I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He's seen it throughout the life of Jesus, where Jesus, people who were born blind, people who were crippled, people who were lepers, it worked. And here's Peter saying it's going to work again. And Aeneas arose immediately. Uh, and this gift, um, uh, I've already got to catch up with myself. This gift is, is a proof of resurrection power, that there is nothing impossible with God. Remember, the disciples are going around saying the Messiah has come and died. Now, that would have been a shock to the Jews because they didn't believe that their Messiah would ever be defeated. So as Peter would preach, as James and John would preach, people are like saying, oh, that's a terrible story. Why do you call it good news? And then they would finish this, and he got up again. Now, that's a fantastic statement to make. That's an unbelievable statement unless you could prove it. And how do they prove it? By healing, by the miracles that they did that the resurrection event was a true event. No wonder Christianity exploded across the world because they had these miraculous powers and their first proofs was to the Jews. These Jews got the miracles left, right, and center. They were blessed. Now, the truth is, the gift of healing is not for all believers. I wish it was. I wish I could. There, there are too many people that I know that I wish I could fix their problem. I had, uh, I told you about my eye being scratched. I think I mentioned it uh, back years ago. I had it scratched um, dreadfully a couple of times. Each time, you know, you have to get this big patch on and, I, and it covers the other eye because your other eye can't move either or else you're in agony. And I couldn't see for three days. I mean, I'm sitting there, Nita's leading me around and all this stuff. You know what I did while I, when, when I had those patches on? I prayed for healing. <laughs> I didn't like it. I wish I had that ability. And anybody who comes along telling you they have the ability, walk away. Walk away. They're going to make money off of you. So uh, this, is, this is something that Christians have to wake up to because many charismatic Christians believe healing is for everybody. And they are greatly deceived and greatly disappointed. They make a lot of money off of people's desperate need for help, and they're called false healers. No pope ever did a verifiable miracle. I'm not sorry to say it. No pope ever. Oh, but Pope John Paul, it was after he died. Somebody, it's a lie, folks. There's no verifiable miracle that any pope ever did. You think if Peter did this miracle and these guys who claim to see the succession of Peter, you think they all be able to do miracles. They can't. They can't. They start wars, but they don't help anybody. All the televangelists, you know what they do? They take your money. Oh, boy, I just, if you could just see 
what real Christianity is like and what biblical Christianity was. Peter never made a penny off of any one of his healings. And yet these guys rake in the money. Start to wake up and realize healing's not for everybody. I wish it was. And that's not to say that prayer does not work. Do not get the idea that God doesn't heal. And don't get the idea. I don't believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. Uh, I is one. Okay. I should be dead at 16. Yet God gave me a second chance to, for a year later, to be able to hear the gospel. Folks, let me tell you. Um, uh, there in Exodus chapter 15, it says, God promises, I am the Lord that healeth thee. God never changes. He still heals. But somebody coming in saying, I am a healer, walk away. Get out of their presence. They're a liar and they're going to take your wallet. You know, I believe every time we pray, we're, we're asking God for a miracle, aren't we? Why pray if it's not impossible? We just need to get back to believing that God will do miracles again and he can do it without Peter. So Peter heals and then look in verse 34, or verse 35, and all that dwelt at Lydda, and Saron saw him and turned, saw him back up and walking, saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So many got saved, folks. Now, when it says turned, it simply means repentance. To your your you're headed one direction, and you say, I don't want to go this direction. And the only thing you can do is turn. You can't stop sinning. You can't decide, I'm not going to sin. All you do is turn and say, save me. All you can do is say, I trust you because the, the wayward sheep that finds his way out into the middle of a disaster and about to die and surrounded by wolves and maybe going over the cliff. Here comes the shepherd. And you know what the sheep can do? The only thing the sheep can do is say, I'm over here. <laughs> Save me. And that's all the sheep can do. But a stubborn sheep says, I don't want him to find me. I don't want him to find me. Don't be that stupid, stubborn sheep. Amen. Turn. That's what it means. They, they turned. They were motivated by the miracle. And these were Jews. you got to understand this thing. They needed the miracles to believe it. Uh, Jews uh, actually deserve the miracles, the Bible says. But you and I don't need a miracle. We need the gospel, folks. Everybody I meet is waiting for a miracle before they believe. That's the wrong order, folks. It doesn't work that way. We have a Bible full of miracles. We have history full of miracles. Uh, we just need to believe them. You know what the problem is? People want a miracle, but they won't believe that God split the Red Sea. Isn't that kind of funny? They want a miracle, but they don't believe that, that uh, uh, Jesus rose from the dead. You can't have it. You got to believe the miracles that God gave you if you want the miracles that you need. That's how we are. Jesus himself said one time when everybody was demanding, give us a miracle. And he says, you're only going to get one miracle. And that is the resurrection. He says, an adulterous generation demands miracles and signs and wonders. Don't be like that. Say, no, I, I see the greatest miracle right here where Jesus got up from the grave. That's how you get saved. The death, the burial, and believing in the resurrection saves the sinner. So here comes, uh, here comes Tabitha. Let's meet Tabitha, verse 36. Now there was, about seven miles away, at Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpreta interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. 
whom when they had washed, they laid her up in an upper chamber. Did you notice that Tabitha had a legacy? Now, she had two names, Tabitha and Dorcas. They both, Tabitha is her Hebrew name, Dorcas is her Greek name. Peter had a couple of different names, Simon and Peter and Cephas, that's his Greek name. And uh, both Tabitha and, and Dorcas mean um, a, a, a roe, a gazelle, like a, like a small deer. And it, it meant a gentle woman. That was this woman's testimony. She was known as a meek, gentle, giving, soft person. She was a believer in Jesus. Even though she was Jewish, she didn't believe in religion anymore. She just believed in everything that Jesus taught and did. She had an impact on people. She left a legacy. Her godliness, her kindness was well known, it says. Um, she was a very loving woman, gentle, meek, and quiet. Where are the women like that today? I can meet some angry women. Some fierce and strong women. But where are the Tabithas and the Dorcas? This woman had left an impact. And she had gotten sick and had quickly died. And she left a big hole. If you keep reading, um, verse, verse 38, for as much, And for as much as Lydda was nigh unto Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there and sent, him, sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber and all the widows stood by him. What? You have to understand when you're a widow and your husband's dead, you have, unless they're wealthy, you don't have welfare coming in. You are usually very poor and destitute. And this woman made things so that they were warm in the winter, so they had food. Look what it says. They were weeping because they lost somebody that so ministered to them. And they showed the coats and the garments which Dorcas made, not pennies, while she was with them. So she's left a big hole in that community. All of a sudden, everybody's weeping over the loss of this woman. And a wake service, I call it a wake, it's a funeral service, but they set this body out in the upper chamber. It was a church and they set that body out there and people are coming and they're weeping over this person who has died. And um, uh, they're preparing to bury her. And what's cute is somebody says, I heard that Peter's just down the road. Now that's a stretch, all right? I mean, it's one thing to have somebody who's sick and they're, they're crippled. And let's get Peter to heal them. It's another one to say, okay, she's dead. Let's go get Peter. I mean, that is amazing to me. Do you understand? That's the kind of activity that was going on. So let's read verse 38 again. It says, for as, and, and for as much as Lydda was nigh, near to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come unto them. Um, people heard Pete, that Peter was nearby. So gone to Lydia, that's where he's at. And now they're over here on the coastline. They rush over and they get Peter in Joppa. Anybody remember what's Joppa famous for? Jonah. Jonah. This is an amazing correlation. 
here's here's a place is kind of a lot like the best place to be spiritual because this is where Jonah got on the ship to get out of the will of God, at least try to. And here's somebody saying, we need God. It's an amazing thing. I won't go through some of the stuff, but it's really cute. Jaffa also is, is known as Jaffa, like Jaffa cakes. Next time you have a Jaffa cake, you'll never forget this message. Amen. Peter went to Jaffa. All right. It actually still called Jaffa there today. Um, so it's a very busy port town. And uh, uh, verse 39, read that again. It says, then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought into him. Uh, they brought him into the upper chamber. Remember the upper room there in Acts chapter one and two. Christians like they didn't mind being put up and getting out of the way, and all the hustle and bustle was down the street, and they just wanted to be alone with God. That's where they had churches at first. And all the windows, uh, and all the windows, the widows, I call them windows. All the widows stood by him, weeping. And showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while he was with them. Peter, I want you to see, Peter is, is now in the presence of a dead body. Would that put you off? Um, there's just, just, just a point there where you say, what else can I do? But Peter's not put off by the impossibility of the situation. Back just a couple of months when Jesus kept saying, I'm going to enter Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Did Peter pay attention? No. And he said, and three days later, I'm going to rise up. Did Peter pay attention? No. And when Jesus was being bound and led to the cross, where do you find Peter? Walking away. He couldn't believe it. Then when the women came three days later on Sunday morning and they said, he's alive, did Peter believe it? No. But then he ran to the tomb with John, and when they looked and they saw the tomb empty and the, the grave clothes folded up, like, who takes a body and folds up the, the grave clothes? And he comes out there, and he's wondering, is this thing real? He doesn't believe it yet until Jesus says, it's me. Put your fingers in my hands and put your hand in my side. And then Peter believed. Let me tell you, Peter never stopped believing in the power of the resurrection after that. And Thomas comes along a week later, and Thomas keeps saying, I won't believe until I put my hand in his side. I won't believe, I won't believe until. And then when he stands before Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God, Jesus says, now you believe? Well, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. That's us. Amen. So don't sit there and say, I got to see. No, you can see because you can see it through their struggle and go, it's enough for me. Peter was never going to be put off by an impossibility again. So he's the only one that actually, outside of Jesus, walked on water too. Is that cool? If anything, Jesus was preparing him for the impossible. But what does he see? He doesn't just see a dead body. He saw the sorrow. If I came into church and there was a lot of crying going on, say somebody died. I mean, what do you do? Do you just join in or do you sort of measure it and go, all right, are we supposed to be so distraught? Are we supposed to be so sorrowful? Is this really the end? Uh, they obviously, I believe that they thought it was unfair. Have you ever never heard the, the, one of the five top questions everybody asks is, why do good people suffer? You ever wondered that question? Well, here's a good woman who died when she shouldn't have. 
She was needed. She was a helper. Well, how come some evil person didn't die? How come Hitler didn't die before he started World War II? Why is it that good people get cancer? Why do two-year-olds die of leukemia? I can't answer all that. All I know is I read about it and I find out that that's our lot. How we react to it is by faith, not by grief. So Peter knew the Christians should not be so sorrowful. Look at, hold your place here, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Not that you don't weep and that you don't sorrow, but as Paul's about to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that you don't sorrow like the world does. You know what? If a lot of funerals didn't have drink, you'd have manic depression. That drink allows people to cope with the loss. Take away the drink and there would be over much sorrow. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Christians don't turn to drink when we have sorrow. First Thessalonians chapter 4, pick up there in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, we're not talking about sleeping like in church. We're talking about sleeping like in death and Christians. This is, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's that resurrection. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And he goes on to describe the rapture and how wonderful it will be. But the point is, folks, uh, uh, we don't sorrow about death and loss and troubles like the world world does yes we have troubles sometimes we have more troubles than everybody else but we don't sorrow like they do we don't grieve like they do we don't give up like everybody else does we actually don't even worry about things anymore i mean honestly uh we have the resurrection i've already experienced it i have what's called the earnest of the spirit i already have the down payment of the holy spirit in me that proves i'm going to live forever with jesus He's already given me enough to get me all the way home. I can't lose it. I need to start enjoying it. Christianity is not death anymore. I don't care if I died this afternoon. Actually, I do. I don't want to die. I want to see my great-grandkids. But if I died and I had pain, if it was hard, I hope everybody really cries and weeps and is sorrowful. But anyway, um, but that doesn't scare me. Death has no fear anymore. Because I'll just, to be absent from the body, what does the Bible say? You're present with the Lord. Why would I want to hold back? So he, listen, Peter could do something. I mean, if you could do something, wouldn't you do it? If you could make a difference in the sorrow of that city, if you could make a difference and bring back that life, would you do it? Well, Peter does the impossible. Look at verse 40. But Peter put them all forth, and he kneeled down. I love this. And he prayed. Why don't we take prayer seriously? Look at the humility there. He goes down, and he prays. And then turning him to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, I think she bolted up. <laughs> I mean, if it's like a dream and you wake up and there's this man standing over you and he's looking at you and there's crying all around, you bolt up to him. What has just happened? This has got to be, I, I, I tell you, put yourself in their shoes and just 
he spoke to a dead body and he just said very simply, he said, Tabitha, arise. Jesus did it when he says, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> Amazing. Time to get up. And she opens her eyes. She sat up and then Peter brought her out to the crowd. Look at this. Uh, verse 41, he gave, and, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when she had, when he had called all the, called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa. And here's Edwards, many believed in the Lord. I wished everything that was happening in my life was having an effect on the lost around me so they got saved. I wonder if we look at the troubles and the things that we go through, the losses, and we only get stuck in the sorrow and the discouragement and the defeat of the moment instead of seeing, I wonder if the Lord could be honored and if the lost could be found, could be saved. If I just stayed faithful. He brought her to the crowd and he presented. I mean, it must have been awesome. He puts everybody out, I think, a little bit for effect so that when he brings her out, there's shouting and there's joy. I mean, what a day that was. Mm, many believed in Jesus. They didn't believe in Peter. Did, does it say that? Doesn't say believe in Peter. All of Joppa heard that Dorcas, Tabitha, was back alive again. She'd been resurrected. And uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hold your place here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. Nail this one thought down. Let me start back in verse 18. 118, 1 Corinthians 118. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It is what? All right. Now, everything I said to some of you is just pure foolishness. You wouldn't believe it if, if it happened in front of you. It's just because you're lost. You don't want to believe. But to us which are saved, what am I preaching? The power of God, aren't we? Not the power of Craig, not the power of Peter, but the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of Bill Gates. I'm sorry, of, of, of the wise. That's what the Bible's meaning. The people who think that they are so smart, God's going to just mop the floor with them. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the careful, the prudent, the studious. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer, the arguer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom never knew God. They couldn't find him. Well, it pleased God by the foolishness of what I'm doing right here today. It's by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. There's that word. For the Jews require a sign. Oh, they need proof. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. You know, we, want, we want everything to make sense. Pastor, answer this question. Excuse me. Pastor, what about this? Pastor, what about that? They want, we Gentiles want everything to make sense. No, one, no loose ends. You know what God gives us? Look in verse 23. I'm sorry, yeah, 23. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, it's a stumbling block. It trips them up. They get upset. Under the Greeks, it's foolishness. Under them which is called, saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Folks, the only difference between saved and lost is how you view what I've just preached. I cannot, I, even if you had a miracle in front of you, 
it wouldn't make you, it wouldn't convince you. Even if you had all the questions answered, it wouldn't convince you to get saved. You know what will convince you to get saved? Jesus dying on that cross with you on his heart. Jesus saying, I did it for you. You deserve to be up here. You're the sinner that ought to be judged by God, and I'm taking your place. And until that becomes real, nothing else will matter. Many believed on Jesus. They believed he rose from the dead. He's Lord and Savior. And then Peter takes a rest. Look at verse uh, 43, the last verse, Acts 10, 43. And it came to pass, back there in Acts 9, 43, I meant, 9.43, and it came to pass that he tarried many days at Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. You know what a tanner is? Not somebody who gives you a tan. He's a skinner. He makes coats from skin, so on and so forth. So what is he? He's, listen, you got to understand, he's by the beach. He's, he's out of Jerusalem, so all the hunting by, and persecution has behind him. He's relaxing. He's spending a few days with Simon the Tanner. But God's got some things for him to do. Next week, we'll find him meeting somebody else to lead to Christ. Wouldn't it be so sad, Brother Tunde? Wouldn't it be so bad to be every week going to work and the Lord saying, here's somebody else to win to Jesus. There's somebody else. I know you're busy. I know you're tired, but I got somebody else to talk to. That would be a good Christian life to live, wouldn't it be? That was Peter's life. Let me finish up with some thoughts here. What have we learned and what do we need to do? Number one, we need to believe God for the things that are impossible again. I read my Bible and I go, I wish this was happening now. But the only difference between Acts 9 and 2022 is Peter. God's still the same. Amen. So don't ever knock down off of his abilities. When we pray, we need to believe God. Now, it's his will that we surrender to. And we say, Lord, thy will be done. Just like Jesus going to the cross. Not my will, but thy will. But it sure be nice if you did this and this and this. And I'm going to believe it. You need to pray believing like we used to. And then rest in his will, knowing he knows best. Secondly, we need to seek out fellowship and refreshing from believers instead of from the world. You know, we try to get all our entertainment and all are refreshing from the world. Don't do that. You know, if, if you, you know, you've got your own schedule, you want to do whatever you want, that's fine. But let me tell you, if your whole life is built upon entertainment from the world and fun with the world and money from the world, and you don't really spend any time with Christians, there's a huge hole in your life and you won't admit it. God meant you, if you're saved, to be with believers. And you know you enjoy when you're around them. So God, you know what Jesus said? His, his, his biggest commandment was love one another. Let's seek out fellowship. If, the, if, if there's something going on at church, you ought to look at your family and say, we're going to be there. We're going to be there. Yeah, but yeah, I want to watch. Put it on recording. I don't care. But man, this is the place where you just get so refreshed. Third, I think today ladies need a godly influence like Dorcas. Not like Beyonce. Too many girls are following her. Not like Margaret Sanger. Anybody know this woman? This woman's one of the most evil women of the early, 19, uh, early 20th century. She promoted eugenics, especially of black men. Planned Parenthood was designed to eradicate the black race. And if you 
If you ever have a tinge of approval towards Planned Parenthood, you better find out about this woman who started it and what Planned Parenthood has actually done. She's not a role model for women, and yet everybody quotes her as, as wonderful for, for, for reproductive rights. How about Hollywood? You think Hollywood women have helped our children? You see, that's where they're being influenced. We need some Dorcas. We need some Tabithas. We need somebody who is selfless and soft and meek and quiet. Men like quiet women. I know not one of you men is going to say amen, but I'll say it. That does not mean that the women don't have a backbone and that women are not super strong in character, but no man likes a loud woman. No man likes a woman who's going to show her stuff, man, and going to put him in his place. That's what they've taught. Boy, we need, we, we say, I don't have an influence. If you are a lady in this church, you have such influence, even for just a few short hours on a Sunday, you, by holding your husband's hand, you, by ministering and helping and encouraging and smiling and being soft and gentle and meek and quiet instead of, well, you know, that husband of mine. Now, I'm not gossiping. And don't you tell a soul what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> oh, there we are. Let's have a godly legacy of our own. Now, most every one of you, if, 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 if we were to lose you, Shall we wait? It's amazing how the devil knows when to time. Listen to this. If we were to lose you, if you were to die, I think, I think every person in this room <laughs> looking for the phone. If we were to lose you, if you were to die, I think everybody in this room would feel the loss. Would you agree? But would, your, would the community, would the town, shouldn't we have an influence, a legacy that if we died, that people would miss us, that the lost would say, he or she so ministered to my life. Even when I was lost, even when I wasn't looking for God, they loved me. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? I think Elon Musk is going to leave a legacy, isn't he? But you know what his legacy? is just material. You can leave a better legacy. Just winning one soul can make an eternal legacy. How about be moving? Let's get in motion. Let's not just come to church. Let's not just sit. I know you sat for an hour now, but don't just come and sit. Let's be a church that's in motion again. Let's say like Peter, like the disciples were going everywhere, sometimes by scattering, sometimes by their own choice. They went and they went because Jesus said, go. So they went and expect great things. I would love it if when you came into that door, or before you did, you were praying, God, do something great in church. God, please do something in our upper room. God, help. I want to start believing in big things. Bill and I went out soul winning yesterday, and I prayed, God, do something great. And I tell you what, we had a good day yesterday. I got to talk to somebody. I had. I can't tell you. I can tell you in secret or whatever, maybe on the side, but it's because I'm being videoed. This guy was such a treat to talk to. It was a great honor to talk to him. I, I never thought I'd see another person like this, and it was a great privilege. He was a Jew, let me just tell you. 
He's a Jewish man. First one I've met in Cork in eons. It was a great privilege to be able to give him the gospel. A little bit of it. Find him out to church. Tell him I'm his friend. I pray for the peace of Israel. That was a gift. Folks, you can talk to everybody, but those are people that God loves. Man, only he can. <laughs> Expect great things. Pray for people to get saved. By the way, somebody got saved on Friday. Tony and I went out and, and uh, talked to a guy, and he got saved. That's what I want. Let's expect great things and be a miracle yourself. Don't downplay your salvation. Your family's looking at you already going, what's so weird about you? Tell them, God did a miracle in saving my soul. Be a Dorcas, a Tabitha, be a miracle. Be Aeneas, be somebody who God has changed their life. But most of all, keep your focus on Jesus. Don't look just to Peter. Don't look to the pastor. Don't look to the government to fix constantly your problems. Start to pray again. Start to rely on Jesus Christ. I think he'll take better care of you. All our distractions have kept far too many in this room from making the decision to follow Jesus. You need to decide this, mo this morning to follow. You need to get saved. What does the Bible say? We read it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what ought to happen today. Then if you're, once you're saved and you haven't been baptized, it's time to say, I'm ready to get baptized. We're going to a, do a baptism in the next few weeks. Come along. We may do it at the ocean when we go on the go to uh, uh, on the barbecue. Sign up for for baptism, and then join this church. I know you like this church. Amen. Got two, three. Amen. Well, join it. Say, well, I thought I was a member. Well, let me talk to you about it. Let me explain it. It's it's you're, you're you've been coming. You're faithful, but you need to say I'm in. I'll put my name down and say this is my church. I'm gonna. This is. This is what I'm going to stand for and I'm going to be with. I'm not just going to let pastor and other people make decisions. I am the church. Why not now? Let's uh, stand and grab our hymnal.